Well, today brought another earnings report from another major energy company, BP in this case. Uh, more eye-watering profits to report. Their earnings tripled in the second quarter as it profited from oil and natural gas prices that, of course, have soared since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, profits jumped to $8.45 billion U.S. from $2.8 billion in the same quarter last year. That's a huge jump. So what to do with all that profit? Well, BP says it will return billions of dollars to shareholders, with the company boosting its dividend by 10% and announcing that it would buy back $3.5 billion in shares. So in other words, moving it back into the company and to its shareholders. But with energy prices for consumers soaring, the UK government has decided it's going to take some of that money as well. It's imposed a 25% windfall profits tax on the earnings of oil and gas companies that come from their British operations. So in this case with BP, it's in the North Sea. They've had to set aside some $700 million to pay that. BP, of course, is by no means alone when it comes to these major profits. ExxonMobil made $18 billion in profits in the past three months. Shell and Chevron each made nearly $12 billion here at Canada, in Canada. Cenovus revenue for the three months, or Cenovus, rather, revenue for the three months ended June 30th was $19.2 billion. Uh, well, Imperial Oil, which is majority owned by Exxon, reported more than a six-fold jump in second quarter profits last week. So what this question means, what these profits mean, is what about us, the consumers who are paying so much at the pumps? Should we get some relief? What about investment? In, say, the oil sands, will companies be spending more of that profit uh, in the oil patch to try to boost, you know, create jobs and boost production? Well, it turns out not much of that is likely going to happen. And uh, joining me now to explain why is Eric Nuttle. He's a partner and senior portfolio manager at Nine Point Partners who oversees the firm's energy investment strategies. Eric, thank you for your time. Happy to be with you. So we saw it from uh, BP today, but this has been quite the Q2 uh, reporting period for, for the big oil companies. Uh, what are we seeing? What kind of profits are we seeing? Uh, it's been a phenomenal quarter with uh, more to come. Uh, what we're seeing is the byproduct of extraordinarily high uh, oil prices, uh, extraordinarily high natural gas prices, extraordinarily high uh, cr uh, crack spreads or the margins that are being made by processing crude into uh, products such as gasoline and distillate and such. And more importantly, at least for an investor, I think, is the commitment to moderate uh, growth going forward and instead uh, maximize free cash flow and distributing it back to investors. It's, that's a theme that I've been a, a very big proponent uh, of. And so what you're seeing are companies pledging a low to no growth uh, and that therefore distributing you know, as much as 100% of free cash flow back to companies, meaning if the current price holds, which I think it's going to, in fact, I, I'm quite bullish in the outlook for oil going forward, that many companies could be paying a 10, 15, even 20% dividend going forward. So it's pretty exciting. How does that work for um, for consumers though? Because clearly, obviously, consumers are paying high prices at the pumps. It's not all down to the oil companies, but they're seeing these big profits and then seeing the money being funneled back into stock buybacks. Is that uh, how? Should, what, what should Canadian consumers think about these or any consumers anywhere think about what they're seeing when they see these big profit numbers come out? Yeah, it's a fair question to ask. And we, we, we do have to reflect on what energy investors and energy companies have had to put up with for the past decade. And it's it's been misery, quite frankly. It was the worst bear market in history where we've had several price crashes. And in fact, we had negative oil uh, price not that long ago. We had an industry on the brink of collapse. And so really, it's just been what we've seen is the final healing of balance sheets and the, the, the damage that occurred during that period. And finally, you know, companies are, 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 you know, producing profits and now people want to throw stones. So I, I think it's very important to reflect on what 
both companies and investors have been through uh, through a longer period than just the past couple of months of, of what people, some people are calling windfall profits. I mean, what you're seeing is, in, for instance, in the UK, is is governments now moving to take some of this money? Uh, yeah, which is, we, yeah. What do you think of which, that? Which is total idiocy. You know, we're we're in a global energy crisis. We are short energy in all forms of energy, and it's something we've been writing about for well over a year, specifically on oil, but now we have it in natural uh, gas as well. And so the only fix to this is to incentivize growth and supply, and moderate or allow the natural destruction of demand, which has occurred through high uh, prices. And so what we're seeing some of the more energy ignorant governments uh, do in this world is doing the opposite. They're attacking oil companies. They're removing some of their excess profits with which they could have potentially invested in new production. And instead, they're then, they're then taking that and essentially rebating uh, energy consumption from consumers. And so it's exactly the opposite of what we, I think is naturally gonna have to happen. We're gonna have, at least for oil, I think we're going to have an oil price meaningfully higher than current, where it simply becomes too expensive for some people to use it in discretionary ways, i.e., you know, it's too expensive to take your, your family down to Florida on a plane or go on a road trip. And secondly, oil has to stay high enough to allow companies to pivot back to uh, growth when it becomes incredibly obvious that that's exactly what we need. You know, we, we've had inventories falling all throughout this year, even with concerns about a recession, even with much of China under sporadic lockdowns, and even with the largest release from strategic petroleum reserves in history, which are coming to an end in the next couple of months. And so I, that's it's when I see governments doing the opposite of what uh, is, is, is logical, it, it's, it's frustrating, but inevitably they, they will change tact. There's a, they're under a lot of pressure, obviously, from, from the voting public who may, may or may not look at this in, in the same way that you do, right? I mean, therein lies a bit of the, the trap for government is that they're, they, are, they are, you know, these are big numbers for these companies. I, I, again, what should consumers make of it, though? I mean, just, just to understand, because they see, I think there's a natural tendency to, to, to you, know, a, you know, A equals B, right? You sort of take that one step when, you know, they're making huge profits, it must be coming from my pocket. And, and you're, you're explaining that's not necessarily the case. There's lots of other things going on here. Oh, it's that oil. Oil is the largest commodity market in the world, and oil companies are not price uh, setters, they're price takers. And so what, what the consumer is experiencing is the byproduct of energy ignorance on the part of policymakers. What I mean by that is we've had five, six, seven years where this industry has been vilified. They've been told that they're you know, destroying the planet by producing hydrocarbons, uh, there, we had some U.S. politicians saying that, you know, energy CEOs should be thrown in jail for the climate crisis that they are, are creating. And so what that creates is an environment where you don't invest because there's just too much uncertainty about whether poor, uh, although well-intentioned government policy is going to, you know, for example, the, the race towards electrification of, of, of uh, passenger vehicles and such. Well, you know, shockingly, nobody wanted to build a new refinery because there's all this uncertainty. Well, what's the, what's the long-term outlook for gasoline? You know, I'm not going to invest $10 billion to, to create a plant where I'm being told that they're not going to need it in five years' time. And so it's, it's, the, it's the ignorance on the part of politicians all around the world whom simply do not realize that we will all be using oil for the rest of our lifetimes. And so specifically, you know, we can talk about Canada and some of the plans on, on emissions reductions that have come out uh, recently, but you know, consumers should should realize that it's the people we vote and put into office that have a have a very direct impact 
on the cost of energy, whether it's oil, whether it's natural gas. And finally, we're seeing the, the impact of that. How does that work? How does that work in, in, in layman's terms? How, how, does, how, does, how does policy impact what you're, I mean, we know about carbon taxes and so forth, but what difference does it make when you're in this, as you're mentioning, a situation where demand is still high, supply is, is dwindling, as you've mentioned, uh, and you're thinking that, you know, $100 a barrel oil is going to be something we may be living with for quite a while now. Yeah, I actually think we're going meaningfully higher in, in, in the quarters to come. Right. What, what I mean by it is we need, uh, let's look at things through a Canadian's perspective. You know, we're blessed with one of the largest oil reserves of any country in the world. Uh, next year, oil taxes are going to represent 13% of total Canadian income for taxes. And so when you look at the, the number of thousands of, of, of schools and tens of thousands of hospital beds and such that that can go towards, you know, it's important to recognize that, again, the demand for oil is at a record today. It will continue, I think, to grow for at least the next 10 years. And so there is a call on production growth. It has to come from someone. And so I would, I would ask you the question. I would ask everybody a question. Who do you want to produce it? Do you want it to be Russia, where they're weaponizing that revenue to purchase cruise missiles to, to kill innocent kids with? Or do you want it to be Canada? where we have the highest environmental standards of any country in the world. We produce barrels in the highest ESG rated manner. And not just for oil, but when we think about natural gas, why would we not want to increase our production to displace coal usage, not only in Asia, but now in Europe, where demand is at a record high because they're short energy. And so we're blessed with this abundance of energy. And yet we have a current government that doesn't prioritize it, doesn't see that it's a win-win, like we need, we need it all. We can cut emissions. We have an industry that is pledged to reach net zero status in the years to come. And so we can fill the ever-growing need for energy in all forms, or at least for natural gas and oil, and we can produce it in the most environmentally uh, sensitive and high manner of anyone in the world. And oh, by the way, we can benefit as taxpayers to help us dig out of our fiscal hole and build the necessary hospital beds and roads and, and schools that we desperately require. So it's, it's a win-win. And so that's what I mean. The people, that we put, the people we put in office have a direct impact on our cost of energy uh, and policy. My guest this half hour is Eric Nuttall. He's a partner and senior portfolio manager at Nine Point Partners who oversees the firm's investment to energy investment strategies. We're talking about recent record profits announced by oil companies, including BP today, 8.45 billion US dollars, jumping from 2.8 a year earlier. And just uh, some of what, to how, what should we make of that as consumers, as governments and so on, and some of the ideas that have been bouncing around in reaction to these profits. When we come back, we'll look a bit more specifically at Canada, Canadian companies, what they've been doing. Will they reinvest the money uh, in the oil sands? It's been an area that uh, where reinvestment has been uh, on in short supply of late. We'll see if that may change with these profits. That's next. My guest is Eric Nuttall. He's a partner and senior portfolio manager at Nine Point Partners, who oversees the firm's energy investment strategies. We're talking about big profits being reported of late by uh, oil companies, oil majors, specifically today, BP, uh, $8.45 billion for the second quarter. Um, Eric, in terms of just the oil patch here in this country, you know, as you've mentioned, there's been a lot of hesitance to to, to invest of late. Will this this sort of boom period for for uh, for oil companies will it will it make a difference? And how have the Canadian companies been doing? I know that Sandvest reported a nice profit as well in Q2. Yeah, the the, the earnings in of Canadian oil and natural gas companies have been phenomenal. Uh, you know, we increase we expect that trend to continue, as well as the theme of a moderate. Uh, growth going forward and instead maximizing free cash flow and returning that back to shareholders in the form of share buybacks 
and dividends. And part of the reason for that is that there's not an energy investor. When I say investor, I really mean owner. You know, I run the largest energy fund in Canada. And so I'm in many cases, the largest shareholder of these companies. Right. And so again, we've had to endure the worst bear market in history. We've endured years of absolute misery. And so now finally it's our time to, to get rewarded for that patience. And so when we look at valuations of energy companies today, they're trading in many cases at a quarter of, of what they used to trade at four, five, six, seven years uh, ago, as people are still naive or ignorant to think that, well, you know, it's the sunset industry and we won't need it because we're all driving left in two years and therefore, like, why would we place the same value on these, these companies? And so in my opinion, the curative for that is for companies to be aggressive in buying back their own shares in increasing their dividends and in, variable in kind of like windfall dividends to their shareholders. And that uh, action will make people realize how profoundly mispriced uh, energy uh, stocks are. And so I do not believe that we're going to see a meaningful increase in investment. You know, the, the uh, proposal to cut uh, Canada's uh, emissions that at least in its current form basically makes that impossible. You know, it's calling basically for us to cut emissions by 42% between now and 2030, which is an impossibility. And so, you know, it's very difficult to increase your production when you've got to cut your emissions by, by 42% in eight years time. So in other words, we're going to see sort of a status quo in, in, in the oil sands, you think, uh, at least as far as Canadian companies are concerned, because I see there's obviously been consolidation as these companies have tried to sort of survive through this uh, this dark period, as you mentioned. Uh, I, I guess you don't think this will, again, the priority is just making sure that uh, that investors are rewarded and so on. You don't see a lot more investment going into the oil patch through this. No, I don't. You know, we've got a sector that's debt-free, If should they want to be debt-free by Q1 of next year. So balance sheets are incredibly right. strong. We still have, you know, hindrances uh, in terms of, you know, uncertainty on government policy and an unwillingness of investors themselves to allow these companies to, to take away, you know, free cash flow from dividends and buybacks and such and, and plow it back into the ground. So, no, I, I think it's kind of a golden era of free cash flow and it's going to result in meaningful dividends you know we've seen nothing we've seen you haven't seen anything yet when we look to next year if, if we're correct that we're going to be at hundred dollar oil we think 10 percent dividend yields um yeah you know including base plus variable dividends are going to be the norm going forward how do you i i know from where you sit i understand i understand the perspective but for for the average canadian when they think about okay well these companies are here can they either plow this back into into the into production to create more work um you know should it be taken away by governments who want to spread the wealth and so on uh, clearly these are, these are ideas that, that you don't agree with but but how should how should canadians look at this if they're not spending they're just giving the money back to investors people are going to feel a bit shortchanged i would suspect well canadians should realize uh, companies are and will be paying in the form of both fees and cash taxes. You know, right. we're again the, the just from the federal level, provincial, but federal level will be 13% of total uh, income taxes collected next year. That'd be at strip pricing, so it'd be a little higher than that. We're talking about tens and tens and tens of dollars being paid in royalties. And so, for anybody thinking that the industry is not paying their fair share, is just naive, I think, to how much, uh, you know, royalties and taxes are paid. And, you know, if, if the average Canadian or average consumer doesn't like, you know, how much they're paying at the pump, a very good hedge against that. And that's owning shares in the companies that are making the supposed windfall profits. And so, you know, I frankly, I do the happy dance every time I fill up my car and somebody can be in that uh, position where you can yeah. benefit from, from you know, the, 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 uh, the current Ohio prices and high gasoline prices. 
so where to from here, Eric? You mentioned it earlier. I mean, supply is still we're we're, we're running out of this this discretionary uh, reserve that was that was there. I mean, we don't we see China's not even really reopened yet, and that was the, one of the biggest growth markets in the world. We do see EVs coming online, but they won't be coming online fast enough. Uh, where do you see oil going in the next few years? I think we're going to be well over one hundred and fifty dollars per barrel in the next couple of years. Um, you know how I arrive at that is oil has to go high enough to kill discretionary growth and stay at that level long enough to allow the global super majors to start spending again. When they do, it takes about four to six years for them to bring on large projects. And they're not in the mindset today to start investing again. And so I think we're in a multi-year bull market for oil where you know, we've had US shale growth the past you know, seven, eight years, um, able to meet the global demand growth. That is not the case anymore. We have OPEC running out of spare capacity in the coming months, which is a massively bullish catalyst for the oil price. And we have the global super majors where they're only spending half of what they used to spend back at peak of 2014, even though the oil price is back there, because again, investors are demanding returns. And so it's just this, it's a structural bull market. It's this mismatch between demand growth and supply growth or lack thereof, which is resulting in inventories continuing to fall. And they cannot, they can only fall so much further until that sends a very um, important price signal to the oil market to, again, you know, got to kill discretionary demand and allow supply growth. Um, and we're not there yet today. Eric Nettle, thanks so much for your time tonight. My pleasure.